Thanks for checking out this sermon from Redemption Church in Seattle, Washington, where we are enjoying Jesus, loving people, and making disciples. If you'd like to learn more about redemption, you can go to redemptionchurchseattle.com. Or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday here in Green Lake. Awesome. It's great to be with you. If you're a guest with us, my name's Drew. I'm one of the pastors here as well, along with Alex and Ben and Mike. And I'm really excited about this time of year. Love Advent. Love getting ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus who came in flesh to give himself for us. And last week we looked at hope, and today we look at something different as we just heard the passage read and we just lit the candle of love. Um, A recent study done by the Journal of Happiness, that sounds like a fun place to work for, right? A recent study done by this journal from 18-year-olds to 80-year-olds, they asked them this question, what makes Christmas special? And here's some of the answers that came in, here's some of the top answers. The top one, spending time with family, taking in the best of the holidays like eating and going to parties, it's fun, participating in church activities, maintaining holiday traditions, trimming the tree, putting up lights, singing Christmas carols, spending money on others, and maybe you can guess this next one, getting gifts from others, and then helping others or giving to charities. These are great things. None of these things are bad. These things are awesome, and hopefully we enjoy those. But this can also be a really busy time of year where you might have a lot going on. You've got shopping going on. You're trying to get gifts, and you're trying to find that special gift, and you're running here and there. Or if you've got children, there's school parties, or there's school sing-along songs, uh, those types of things, concerts. Um, You're planning a trip to go see family, or maybe you're, you're trying to scoot out for a vacation, and there are a lot of different things happening, and the calendar is oftentimes packed, and it can seem anything but peaceful. And so it would be really sad if we failed to stop and realize and take time to even answer that question, what makes Christmas so special? What's really at the heartbeat of what makes this time of year so truly amazing, so truly special? And what we see, what we believe as a church, as Christians, is that what makes it so special is love. A promise so powerful that it can bring hope, as we looked at last week, to even the hopeless, most hopeless situations. A promise so powerful that it can bring joy regardless of what circumstances you face. A promise so powerful that it can actually bring peace, even though when we look around in our world we can see that there's anything but peace often. This is the kind of love that has the power to heal wounds, that has the power to comfort those who are hurting, that has the power to put brokenness back together. This is an amazing, powerful love that we see. This is this amazing promise that's really at the heartbeat of what makes Christmas so special. This love is gentle. This love is kind. This love isn't going anywhere. This love is promised, and it changes everyone who experiences it. And so what kind of love, what kind of of love is this powerful. That's what we're going to look at today in Isaiah 42, the passage that you just heard read. If you would, turn to Isaiah 42. It's in the Old Testament. It's also going to be up here behind me on the screen, and then there's a red Bible in front of you if you'd like to track along as well. Now, we could just jump right into this passage, but if we did, we'd actually be doing the passage disservice, and we wouldn't really understand the context or why this is so important or why it's written this way, and so that's really important that we understand first. So here's just a little bit of background. Here's what's happening when we reach Isaiah 42. In the the Old Testament, we see that God delivers his people from bondage in Egypt. We see that in Exodus, and he's made this covenant with them, and he's brought them through the wilderness into the land of Canaan. And so they became a nation. 
They built this temple for the Lord. And for centuries, they saw military victories time and time and time again under different kings and different generals. But here's what they also did. They strayed from God's covenant. Time and time again, they would stray, and the prophets would do one thing time and time again. They would call them back. They would remind them. The people would stray. The prophets would call them back. But then in the 6th century B.C., something unthinkable happened. The Babylonians defeated Israel. This was unexpected. They destroyed the temple. They plundered Israel's treasure, their livelihoods. They turned everything upside down. And what they did is they took them into bondage and they marched them back to the gates of Babylon in chains, which is what we see here in um, Psalm 137. It says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept and we remembered Zion. The Babylonian victory over Israel was absolute. This was utter, complete devastation of political, social, economic, and religious life that God's people had known for centuries. And so this is what we see leading up to Isaiah 42. God's people, they were asking this question, God, are you still here with us? Are you still for us? Do you still love us? Where are you going to intercede? Have you ever asked those questions? I'm sure we all have at different times in life. Maybe you're asking it right now. God, where are you? Where are you in the midst of this? Where are you in my marriage? Where are you in my singleness? Where are you in my work? Where are you in this illness that I'm suffering through? God, are you here? Do you care? That's what the people were asking. That's what God's people were asking. And then God answers. That's what we're going to look at. And so um, we're going to start in verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 42, here's what it says in Isaiah. Behold, my servant, who I uphold, who I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. So this spirit-filled servant, not a tyrant, not one who would come to dominate over the people, not one who would come loudly shouting in the streets for justice, but one who would come quietly, meekly, humbly. But what is he coming to do? You saw a word probably pop up in those first three verses several times, this word justice. This implies that the world that we live in is unjust, that it's broken. It doesn't take a lot for us to look around or turn on the TV or simply walk out into our neighborhoods or in the city streets and to see that this is true, that there is brokenness all over the place today. We think of those who live in the slums of Nairobi, who are hungry in Ethiopia, who dwell in poverty in in Haiti, who are beheaded for their faith all around the world, who are sexually abused, some enslaved and sold, sometimes repeatedly. Those who are abused, who are overlooked and dehumanized simply because of their race, those who can't read, those who are surrounded with pollution, those who experience the pain of things like AIDS or cancer or divorce or abandonment or loneliness or bereavement or depression or insecurities or disabilities or mental illness. The effect of sin and brokenness is evident in our world. We don't really have to look too hard to find it. We would all agree with that. If we didn't agree with that, we'd be blind. 
we'd be deaf to the reality that faces our world. And this is not something new. This is, even in a sense, the people experiencing this bondage, they could feel this. This was real for them. And even if this hasn't affected us personally, it affects everyone around us, which as Christians means it affects us personally. We should never be able to turn a blind eye to the brokenness, to the lack of justice in our world. It's a reminder that things are not as they should be. And we should look at that with open eyes. And the effects of this, even the things that I listed, here's what happens for me, and I know it can happen for a lot of us. There's so much brokenness that it can seem very overwhelming. There's so much brokenness, so much pain, so much hurt that it can feel like, man, let's just throw in the towel. What can I do? What can we do? I guess this is just the way it is. But it's in this brokenness that love breaks through, a powerful love, a different love than we often see in our culture and in our society. I love this picture here. I just want to bring your attention to this. It says this servant who will come, a bruised reed he will not break. Now this is a little bit of different language for us, but here's what this means. This was a stalk of grain which had been bruised. And it was separated at an angle, but it wasn't completely separated. It wasn't completely broken. But because it was separated, it meant that it would never be able to produce fruit again. It's what we would see as worthless. It's what those who were bringing in the grain would toss aside. Why is it so important that it says that the servant who's going to come, a bruised reed, he will not break? Here's why it's so important. Here's why it's so important, because the chosen one who comes, he's not going to throw these reeds out. He's not going to simply discard them. This servant, the chosen one, he's attracted to what seem like hopeless cases. He doesn't crush the weak like other rulers. He doesn't oppress like other rulers. This promised one who's coming is going to be Unlike any other ruler, he's going to draw close to the ones who are broken, who can't produce, who don't have anything to offer him, who don't benefit him. This is what he's going to do. He's going to draw close, and instead of throwing them away, he brings about healing. God loves the fragile. He loves the broken. He loves the outcast. He loves the rebel. That's why we see in Psalms it says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. The reality here is that we are all these bruised reeds. We have all been separated from righteousness by sin. But thank the Lord that the one he sends isn't going to simply toss us on the floor, sweep us out, throw us in the garbage, but instead he says... This separated reed, which others would throw out, which others would seem as worthless, the ones that could never produce fruit on their own, what I'm going to do is heal them, I'm going to rescue them, I'm going to save them so that you will produce fruit, but it's only through me. And we praise God for that this morning because that's us. We're all this bruised reed. We have nothing to offer God on our own. We come with empty hands. Actually, we come with broken hands. And he says, I'm not going to toss you out. Now, we would grow faint at trying to fix our own problems and fix the problems of the world, but what it says here is that this servant doesn't. In verse 4, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice, again, justice, in the earth, in the coastlands which wait for his law. So this Savior is coming, and he's not only coming to set things right for a particular people, but what does it say? He's going to set things right till the end of the earth. That includes us. That's why we're so thankful that it doesn't just end with God's people in Isaiah, but it extends now because of this amazing servant to us today. 
that we wait for this servant, this one who's promised this king of love. That this servant who comes, he's not biased. He doesn't accept only certain races. He doesn't accept only certain classes of people. He doesn't accept only people who are healthy. No, this king, he comes and he extends this justice to all the earth. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. To understand how great this love is, you have to understand, you have to understand how great God is. So you won't fully understand how amazing this love is without that. That this is the one who gives the very breath that we breathe. This is the one who breathes breath into all creation. This is one who's above everything, who's in control of everything, who breathed creation, the world that we live in, out of nothing. If we fail to see just how great this God is, who's sending this great servant, his son, we fail to understand, and we'll never fully understand, but we fail to start to understand just how great and powerful this love is. That he cares for us. He cares for every living thing, the bruised reed, the faintly burning wick. And he says this, I'm the Lord, and I've called you into righteousness. I will take you by the hand. Don't miss this. This is so relational and amazing. Love this verse. This God who's in control of everything, who's so powerful, who could come and destroy everything, who could wipe out everything, who has, who has every reason to do that, according to what we would often consider justice. Instead, here's what he says. I'm the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open up the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. What he says here is that I've called you into righteousness, but in the past, we've been anything but righteous. And this started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. When the first sin was committed, when the first rebels came to be, turning our back on God and instead saying, I want this instead of you. I believe I know better instead of you. And it goes all the way forward to what we see in Egypt. God releases his people. He brings them out of bondage. But what do they do? They, they turn against him time and time again. They abandon him. They build up idols. They run from him. They aren't thankful. They complain. And then it goes all the way through to what we even see in the New Testament as Jesus comes. What do people still do? They still reject him. They still turn their back on him. His own disciples even do this. This is nothing new. But God says, let me remind you, I've called you into righteousness, even though at times, really, you fail to be righteous. We see this theme over and over again. People rebelling and God showing grace. People rebelling and God still showing love. And why is this? It's because God has made, don't miss that word there, a covenant with his people, not a contract. And we should be so thankful for that. That God has made a covenant, meaning that he upholds his end of the bargain, even though we fail time and time again. If it was a contract, we'd be absolutely hopeless, because we break that contract day in and day out. We don't uphold our end, but God upholds his end. And we should be so thankful that this type of love is not contractual. And we need to be really careful never to view love as contractual. 
not in our closest relationships, not with anyone. We aren't looking, we shouldn't be looking and saying, well, what can you give me? What can I get out of you? And then maybe I'll reciprocate with some love. No, as Christians, as believers who have been changed by this amazing promise, we should be approaching relationships with covenantal love, saying, even if you turn your back on me, I'm still going to love you. Even if you hurt me, I'm going to love you. Even if you go against me, I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to do everything that I can to show you love because God has done everything that he needed to do to show us love even when we rebelled against him. For anyone who accepts Christ as Savior, this servant, which Isaiah is speaking of, that's coming, this hope, this promise, we enter into a covenantal relationship with our God. And we can be absolutely secure in this love. Even as Christians, sometimes we can doubt this love. We sin, we fall short, and we can wonder, even as the people here wondered, God, are you still here? Do you still care? And time and time and time and time again, let me assure you today, he says, I do. I am. I'm not leaving you. I'm not walking away. I'm not tossing you to the side. If you don't have a relationship with him, this is the beauty of Christmas. This is what makes it so amazing. This is what God offers you through Jesus, through his son, that if you will repent of your sin, if you'll confess your sin, if you'll say, God, I have been that bruised reed. I have rejected you. I I have done what I've wanted to do. I've turned against you, but, but God, I want to receive this new life in you. He promises that he will give that. The most amazing Christmas gift you can experience, his love. And so what does God do here when we rebel time and time and time and time again? Hear this word. He endures. He endures with us. There was this older couple who I knew in the church that I grew up in. Their, their names were the Faulkners, and they were missionaries to the Sudan. Not an easy place to be missionaries. They were missionaries there for years and years and years and years. And my parents used to take me to visit them, and I loved them. They were some of the kindest, most gentlest people that you could ever imagine. Great examples of what it meant to be followers of Christ. Their marriage was amazing. They loved each other so much. And when they retired from uh, the mission field in Sudan, and they came back, they worked for the church for a while. But then as they got older... Um, the husband, Glenn, uh, he got sick. He got Parkinson's disease. And it started to affect his mind in some pretty powerful ways. This man who was so gentle, who was so calm, who was so loving to his wife, he, he started to become angry. He started to become aggressive. He started to say things that he never said before. He didn't want to really be around people. He was so angry. He was, he was just different. He had changed. But here's what never changed, and here's why I probably remember this this week as I'm doing sermon prep. Here's why I remember this couple, because even through that, even as Glenn had changed, even as he was suffering through this illness, here's, here's what never changed. Ruth, she never changed. His wife, she was always there regardless of what he said, regardless of how much he said he didn't want to be around her, regardless of how much he yelled, regardless of how angry he was. Her love, it didn't waver. It endured. It was there. It wasn't going anywhere because it wasn't contractual. It didn't say, I'll love you if. It just said, I'll love you with no end to it. It's amazing. Uh, This past month, personally, it's been a little tough. I've uh, I've been fairly angry, um, specifically angry with God. Um, My mom, she's uh, been re-diagnosed with cancer, and that's been tough. And I haven't felt um, uh, sadness as much as I've really felt anger. And I've expressed that. I've been vocal with God. I've shared that with him. I've shared that with him in the car. I've shared that with him getting ready in the mornings. I've shared that with him when I can't fall asleep at night. I've complained. 
I've shared why I don't like this. I've shared that I don't understand. I don't know why he would do this. In my own flesh, I've shared all of these things with him time and time and time again. And here's what's never happened. As I've shared this with him, I've never felt him leave me. In fact, when I've shared these things with him, even in some of my own selfishness, here's what I've always seen. Here's what I've always felt. Here's what I've always known that's been true, is that he's just drawn closer. He's drawn closer. He hasn't run away. He hasn't abandoned. He can handle my anger. He can handle your pain. He can handle our brokenness. He can handle our confusion. He can handle our rebellion. And he's such a powerful, loving God. And that's what this makes this love so powerful is that it endures. It endures our sin. It endures our confusion. It endures our pain. It endures our hurt. It endures the abuse of our past. It endures our anger. It endures all of it. And it doesn't go anywhere, and it doesn't walk away, and that's what makes this type of love so amazing. And so you might say, okay, I get it. I think I understand this. If I'm going to apply this, it means, okay, I I need to endure. I think I can do that. I can endure people when they're difficult. But here's what we really mean a lot of times when we say, okay, I need to endure. What we really mean a lot of times is, okay, I can tolerate. And that is not the same. God never is just tolerating you. He's never passively just putting up with you. God never does that. That's not what this type of enduring love looks like. And we can easily apply that and say, okay, my endurance is just going to be putting up with those when they're difficult, putting up with my spouse when they're difficult, putting up with the neighbors when they're difficult, my coworkers when they're difficult, my kids, my family when they're difficult, and I meet with them in a week and we do the awkward dinner or the awkward gift exchange. Okay, I get it. Enduring love, I'll just tolerate. Uh -uh, Uh-uh, uh-uh, that's not it. That's an easy way out. What does this endurance look like? You saw it in the verse. It's endurance that comes and takes our hand and walks with us. This is the type of love that God shows in his servant. Love like a great father coming and taking the hand of a child. And it says he'll keep you. It's a love that puts its arm around your shoulder when you're hurting It's a love that can stand there when you're angry and you're shouting and you're yelling and it cries with you and it hurts with you and for you, but it's not going anywhere and it's never putting up with you. God is never putting up with you as his child. Jesus is never just putting up with you. He's enduring with you. And that's the beauty here. The reality is people are going to let you down. People are going to hurt you. Oftentimes we can't control their actions, but we can control how we respond. I love what it says here in this verse that this one who's coming, Jesus, he's going to open the eyes of the blind. He's going to let us see our sin, but also see his grace. And he's going to bring out the prisoners from their dungeon who sit in darkness. That's us. And even though oftentimes we like to close our eyes and we sometimes bind ourselves back up in the chains of sin, he still endures with us. And so how can we respond? Well, a lot of this has to do with remembering how God's enduring love has been present in our own lives that evokes us to show this type of love to others. And so this is a little bit unique, and if you're a guest, this is unique. We don't do this every week. But I thought it would be good and encouraging if you think of something just here in the moment of how God's enduring, specifically enduring love, how has it been present in your life lately? Spencer's got a microphone here. Just raise your hand. Um, he'll walk to you and stand up and share that with us. How has God's enduring love been present in your life lately? 
And we aren't going to take a ton of time, so don't be the person that waits for the third person to share, and then you raise your hand. Go ahead. Spencer will come to you. Seriously, as a church body, how has God's enduring love been present in your life lately? Small ways, big ways? Who's got something? The people that we've um, leaned on the past few months, a lot of them Christians, some of them not, but that's how we felt God's love is very tangibly, and um, yeah, I'm pretty tired, but I'm thankful. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, Kyle Wood, sorry, right behind. Um, so I've just been going through like a, I don't know, several month <clears throat> process of kind of deconstructing my faith, and um, I don't even know how I feel about what I read this morning. Um, and so it's just kind of working through a lot of that. And uh, I was talking to Alex the other day, and he was referencing Frederick uh, Beekner about how he says listening to your life, because that's exactly what I was explaining to him, is as I've kind of deconstructed a lot of parts of what I've been believing and trying to re-examine things and stuff, kind of like you were saying, Drew, I feel like God has just gotten closer. Mm. And like what I'm hanging on to is uh, the ways that I've experienced him and how he's entered into my life in hard situations and not just being able to say, well, this doctrine says this, so I guess, you know, God's real. So, mm. But really being able to look at my life and be like, he was here, he was here, he was here, and just so, mm. just showing up so prevalently, and it's like so much more real now. That's great. Thanks for sharing that, Kyle. Yeah, Bryce in the back. Spencer, you're going to have to walk. So, yeah, I've um, had to share some kind of tough stuff with some people um, last weekend, and um, it's just like kind of calling out some sin and as you made that distinction between tolerating and loving, honestly, um, that's kind of what was I was really struggling with. Like tolerating would just be sitting there and not loving them and talking to them about it. And I can definitely say that just in sharing with this person I had to talk with, I didn't. It would have been really difficult to have the conversation on my own strength. And uh, yeah, just practically, God loved me by letting me not just sit there and be passive and silent. Thanks, Bryce. One more. Your last one. Yeah, Mike. As throughout life, sometimes you go through trials and difficult times, and there's times where you think, um, does God care? And is he listening? Is he active? Does he speak? And just um, praying, Lord, where are you? And, um, you know, do you love me? Um, Are you active? And every time that I've done that, somebody's come up to me personally and says, I've been praying for you, and how you doing? And uh, that just shows that God speaks through other people, and uh, that's really encouraging, knowing that my God loves me, and he's, uh, he understands. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Thank you all for sharing. I know that that's a vulnerable thing, but my hope is that as a church, we're encouraged by that, that we don't, that's good, that that we don't serve a God who's passive, that we don't just serve a God who's so distant, but he is close, and we can see how he has endured with us. You can think back on that. I'm sure that if we did, if we opened this up, we could share for hours and hours about how God's enduring love has been there, and he does. What I heard even from you all right now is that in a lot of ways, his enduring love has shown up through the relationships and those around you. And so never discount how the Holy Spirit is working in you and through you, even for the good of one another. And that's what we see here is that God is saying, I'm sending a servant, I'm sending Jesus 
who's going to be such a sign of my love for you that I haven't left you, that I haven't abandoned you, and that I'm never going to. And he's not going to come loud and yelling in the streets. He's going to come gently and softly. And he's going to endure with you, and he's not just going to tolerate with you, but when you're broken, he's broken. He feels what you're going through. He understands, and he's there with you. He's never just putting up with you. And this is an amazing type of love. That's what makes it so special. These last few verses, it says in verse 8, I'm the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So I'm telling you of what's coming, and the benefit for us is we already know what's come. But here's what he's saying, that I am the Lord, this is my name. He's saying this is the only one, this servant, Jesus, he's the only one that's going to be worthy of your praise. He's the only one that you should worship. Don't worship idols, don't worship other things. He's the only one that you should lay your da- down your life for. He's the only one that makes it possible for us to be able to show the same type of love, this love of endurance that he shows us. And he'll bring forth absolute justice to a broken and hurting world. But you know what I love about the justice that Jesus brings? Is that he doesn't bring justice on us. He brings justice for us. That's great news. Because he could have brought justice on us, which we've all deserved. But instead he brings justice for us in his own life. Not that we deserved it. Not that we've done anything to earn it. This is the promise that God makes in Isaiah. And I want to share with you one verse from Romans, which hopefully encourages us greatly because this all came to pass. Romans 5, 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. What we deserved, every single one of us without exception, was God's wrath. All bruised reeds, all rebellious, all broken. But in his love, he offers us salvation. He offers us hope. He offers us joy. He offers us peace. Because a few thousand years ago, he offered us a tiny, perfect baby that God would come in flesh. This servant that Isaiah talks about, this chosen one, that he would come in the humblest of ways, that he would breathe his first breath in a stable because there was no room for him. This is how this king would come, born of a virgin, not shouting in the streets, not shaming the broken, not tossing aside those who were bruised and banged up. No, the one who would take his first breath in the stable and who would take his last breath on the cross. After he had lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, ultimately he would fulfill this promise of justice through love. This promise was kept as he was on the cross and breathed his last when he says, It's finished. And here's why we should celebrate this morning, and here's what we need to remember throughout this time of year and every day after it, is that we serve a God and we have a king who's never going back on his promise. And isn't that great news for all of us? That he hasn't signed a contract with us, but he's made a loving covenant. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. It says, though you have changed a thousand times, he has never changed once. This promise of love is as good today as it was thousands of years ago. As good as it was in the garden when God promised a Messiah to come. And so this Christmas, as we reflect on the amazing gift of Jesus and the amazing promise on his love, how can we respond? Well, two ways. With worship and praise to this humble king, 
which we're going to do in a moment, remembering just what kind of love he's shown us and by living out this kind of love with the people in our lives. Before you come and you respond to communion today, think about the people in your lives. Think about those you're going to be with over the next weeks. Shoot, think about the guy that you're going to see asking for money in front of QFC today. Think about the neighbor who you're going to rub shoulders with. Think about the coworker. Think about the, the difficult people in your lives, the challenging people in your lives. And would you just ask, God, would you allow me to show the type of enduring love, not tolerating love, but enduring love that you've shown me? And Jesus, may they see you through that. What makes Christmas so special? It's a good question. The answer, Jesus. The promise made, the promise kept, and the promise completely wrapped in beautiful, grace-filled, enduring love.